Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. You listen to that music. The Abroad in Japan podcast is upon us, and I am one of the hosts of the show. Not the most important host, but a host nonetheless. My name is Pete Donaldson. Welcome to the show. Um, Chris is not here, unfortunately, so turn off now. <laughs> if you read the title and that's not in, that's not what you're into, fine. If you've just found out that Chris isn't here and that's not what you're into, if you're not into me, that's absolutely fine. Chris is in deepest, darkest... Um, I don't actually know where he is, to be honest. He, he, he's, he's been uncontactable for a few days. He, he did chip off to an island with Joe the Anime Man and uh, Natsuki. And I think he may very well be trying to establish his own country on a patch of land off the coast of uh, Fukuoka, where everyone dresses in, like, dark T-shirts and gets the haircut like the bloke who invented Tesla and who made that face on Joe Rogan. In short, the podcast is, admittedly, a few hours later than usual, because uh, I had to get some interviews together, and normal service will be resuming this Sunday, I do believe. And uh, th- this podcast does feature myself talking to um, two people who I think can provide something a little bit different, a, a different perspective to what you usually hear on uh, the Bronze Japan podcast. They're not YouTubers, uh, they're not English teachers, uh, I don't think they started that way anyway. They're, they're doing something a little bit different in Japan, uh, and they're both weirdly quite close to each other in the nation's capital, Tokyo, uh, even though they don't know each other. And um, they've both managed to get work in in Japan without going down the usual kind of language school route because of their uh, incredible talents. And I thought it'd be interesting to have a chat with two people I've I've followed on Twitter for quite a while. And they've got some really interesting origin stories, got some excellent uh, perspectives and excellent uh, origin stories. Um, It's a... um there's a guy called Mark Pickering. Uh, he, he's, he'll be our first interviewee, who is a wrestling commentator and a journalist. And Dan Olowitz, who is a J-League, Japan League soccer journalist. Two talented, talented men and uh, amazing voices on their particular sporty discipline. And I think uh, you're going to love these interviews. So, yeah, Chris will be back on Sunday. Uh, and, uh, yeah, do have a listen. Here's Mark Pickering, wrestling man. All right, here with uh, Mark Pickering. How you doing, man? Yeah, good, thanks. This is a great pleasure for me, Pete, to speak to you and to see you as well. Full audio and visual. <laughs> yeah, I've not been to the hairdressers yet, Mark, so unfortunately well, I look like an absolute wreck. Me, yeah, I'm due as well. I've got no excuse, though. They're fully open, yeah. <laughs> so I must kind of, I guess, first introduce you. So, Mark, you are a uh, commentator. You yep. are a wrestling sort of, uh, you'd probably class yourself as a, as, a, as a wrestling journalist, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Out there in, in, in Shinjuku? Sure, yeah. Freelance sports journalist and doing sports commentaries, mainly around professional wrestling here in Japan. 
Mm. Okay, so so how did you get into that? How did you even get to Japan, I suppose, to do this? Because sure, um, so I think most people around the world will be able to sort of um, figure out that you, that you are Welsh. You have got yeah, a Welsh accent. Yeah, I've retained it to a degree. <laughs> yeah, so I started out with a, a degree in sports journalism from Stafford right. University in Stoke. And from there, I moved into a couple of different sports. I got connected with judo, of all things, actually. I had no background oh, wow. in judo. I started mm. working for the British Federation, then the International Federation for seven years. And they have a world tour, so... Every week I was in Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Cuba, all over the world and came to the end of that job in February of 2020. But a few months before that, I was looking to come to Japan, obviously Tokyo Olympics, huge fan of Japan generally, like Mm. yourself. I wanted to try and learn the language and things. So that's always where I saw myself. I should have come here years earlier, but, you know, Mm. everyone says the same. And then, You're too busy with judo and jet lag. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> which is a bad combination, believe me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, from there then, after I left that job then, I was uh, home in Wales actually last year. I got stuck there for eight months when the world, you know, totally collapsed. Everything mm. broke down. Mm. And uh, that was, you know, challenging time as a freelancer. I'm sure you can relate to a degree. Mm. But my goal was always to come back to Japan. Things started to open up in October of last year. So I came out here. I had some contacts in the kind of sports media landscape. And I yeah. started things off, a Scottish friend of mine, we did a commentary on kickboxing. And there was Tenshin Nasakawa a couple of years ago. He fought Floyd Mayweather, you might remember. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so that was a pretty big deal. That was in Osaka. It was on Halloween. And you, you know what Halloween <laughs> is like here? Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, yeah. I imagine they probably didn't drink Strong Zero in the street before their bout. but um... <laughs> Everyone else did, though. It was just an absolute did. sea of humanity around Dottenbori and everything. <laughs> I remember the footage of you and Chris, you were uh, passing on, I think, the uh, the Newcastle, the Hartlepool dialect of some local. Yes, what, that, in, that was, uh, in America Moora. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I started off with the kickboxing commentary here. No real commentary experience, but one thing led to another. And then I got an invitation mm. to cover pro wrestling. And I started off with Pro Wrestling Noah. They were founded mm. in only 2000, but they've quite a rich history for 21 mm. years. So... A lot of companies here in the sports area now, they're trying to incorporate English commentary. And it was just one of those kind of right place, right time. Not a lot of people can come in. I had the residency status. So that's really how it all kicked off for me. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I guess you're in a situation where with um, Japanese wrestling companies, I mean, I, I don't know how much the, the, the um, listener base of a in Japan knows about, sure. about wrestling. Um, obviously, Japan is like the, the, the second biggest uh, territory for, for wrestling and has been for, for like a century, effectively. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the, the homelands of professional wrestling. I mean, some of the early matches, the likes of Ricky Dozan, the father of Japanese wrestling of 50s and, and the 60s, they got 65 million viewers. It's one of the, mm. the top shows still to this day and you know the big yeah. shows yourself the likes of uh, Tokyo Dome it can get up to 40,000 people sometimes 60,000 people in different times of course there's a real mm. it's, it's part of the Japanese culture I think the the samurai the fighting spirit they see them as these larger life characters these representatives of the country against foreigners who coming in I think there's a good story there there's a good aspect and I think it, it's one of the sports actually during these difficult COVID times that it's still managed to keep going. They've got all the mm. protocols in place. And I think there is uh, still that degree of fun, that degree of enjoyment. Mm. How, how do kind of um, wrestling fans in Japan differ to the, 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 the usual kind of WWE sort of fans in, in the big domes, in, in the big stadiums in uh, America? Yeah, it, it's a lot more respectful, quieter audience. They're really 
putting everything through their mind as they see it. There's the clapping, mm. a lot of respect. But of course, for the higher up the card, the more famous wrestlers, the more famous fighters, they get into it. There's cheers, there's chants, there's sometimes tears in the crowd. And of course, there's, <laughs> there's very different age groups. You know, you see a lot of young women, you'll see a lot of old men, couples, mm. all different sectors. You know, I've seen people who've come straight from a judo club, for example, they're wearing their full judo kit and they burst into Kruokan Hall in the main event and <laughs> all different stories. And there's these great characters, you know, that you see here. Yeah, I, I guess um, if you see someone with a, a judo kind of get up in the crowd, you think something's going to happen. There's going to be a run it at some point. They're going to run in the ring and start yeah, fighting. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'll move my seat somewhere <laughs> else at that point. <laughs> well, I think I, I think my only experience of, of wrestling in Japan was at Kurokan Hall. Um, it was the best of the Super Juniors, Sean, yeah. Tiger Mask, and, or whichever Tiger Mask we're up to now, yeah. um, and, and a few others. I think Taka w- w- was wrestling as well. Taka um, Mitsunoku, was it? Yeah, yeah. And a very sweary intro. It very it's a sweary intro uh, that you probably wouldn't hear in uh, in in western uh, kind sure, of in sure. western wrestling shows tacker is coming motherfucker yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. wow that is a this is a family <laughs> it yeah. should be a family audience kind you, of you see the five foreign fans in the crowd look at each other like is, is that okay you just right? said the f word <laughs> <laughs> so do, you, do as as a wrestling kind of uh, commentator do you kind of um how do you kind of like set up for a match how, do, how much research do you have to do on on on, on the writers um how much sure. kind of japanese do you know yeah, it's basic level, conversational Japanese, to be honest. I've been down the route mm. of putting up the hiragana, the katakana, the kanji characters in the shower. I'm fully on board mm. with your idea there of the, <laughs> of the video aid in the shower. When that happens, yeah. let me know. I'll, I'll get right, on the yeah. I, I, look, I have been trying to make that happen for such a long time. I even contacted like a Chinese um, like e-ink provider, <laughs> and they were very unhelpful uh, because I'm not a computer program. Yeah, if I was, yeah. I'd be way more well off, Mark. <laughs> need to crowdfunding. That's, that's what you need. Yeah, damn right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's, I, I kind of prepare like any general sports event. So say two weeks before for the show, you get the full list of matches, maybe seven to eight matches. Then mm. I would look into, say, if it's an opening singles match, I would look into the backstory. How many times did they face before? Who won? And then mm. arguably the most difficult aspect is, say you've got 40 wrestlers on a card, they've each got probably 20 different techniques. And even right, if they okay, have yeah. the, the same technique, it'll have a different name. So you're talking okay. about hundreds of techniques here. And it's just oh, trying Lordy. to process this. Yeah. So I've got notes upon notes of like 15 pages because I always just want to be more prepared than, you know, I'm not going to use them, but it's just as a reference point. Sometimes I'll be scrambling, looking through my notes. What was that? And then it was already <laughs> on to the next move. And then it's a pinfall. And, you know, you just oh, try and keep word. track of everything. Yeah. I find it, it's probably more labor intensive to prepare than for mm. kickboxing or, you know, for grappling or martial art, really. Yeah. So, so as in, so each individual wrestler will have a different version or a different. Uh, say they do, I don't know, an Irish whip or something. That will be called different. That'll be called a different thing for each character, effectively. So yeah, you have they, to know they, want, those they like to put their own spin on it, their own name on it. So right. for one wrestler, it's one thing. For one wrestler, it's another thing. And my mm. co-commentator from Scotland, he comes from more of a martial arts background, so mm. relies on me to an extent to come up with the the terminology. So I'm. <laughs> trying to study that and to try and get everything in, but uh, oh it, it is word. challenging, yeah. Yeah, very, very, very hard work. And um, what are the wrestlers? Do, do you get to speak to many wrestlers one on one? What What are they like? They're quite normal out of the ring. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, we we int- introduced to them in the first show we did back in uh, November, and it was mm. you know very cordial, very respectful. They were bowing to mm. us and little conversations here and there, a little bit into their backgrounds. But um, mm. yeah, they, they they struck up a good conversation. All made big effort to try and speak English, a good rapport. 
really approachable, but it, it's unbelievable the the difference. As soon as that light switch turns on, they're totally different characters, <laughs> as you can imagine. The, Amazing. The, 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 the most dastardly heel, the biggest villain, is, is the absolute nicest guy outside the ring. It's, it's like, <laughs> is that the guy I was talking to earlier? How can yeah. it be the same guy? As he's just cursing <laughs> everyone in the crowd, cursing all his opponents. <laughs> An hour ago, he was bowing to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really respectful. Wow. Yeah. How, do, how does how does kind of the wrestler's lifestyle kind of fit in with the with the rest of Japan? Because obviously, like um, we have this very kind of blinkered view about what a, a, a salary man does, what sure. a, an office worker does, and stuff. But I can't imagine we have that much of scope as to how a wrestler builds his day effectively. It's the working out, it's the consuming. Like gyms are, gyms aren't few and far between, but they but they're you know. They're very different to, to, to American gyms. They're not quite as prevalent. They're not quite as ubiquitous as everywhere yeah, else. Sure, sure. So it revolves around the tour. They'd be working probably 300, 200 to 300 days a year. And they mm. tend to travel by bus. So they'll be doing nine hour long bus journeys all over Japan yeah. to make various dates. Then it revolves, as you say, around the gym, probably maybe tanning on the sunbeds. Mm. And, and then the <laughs> media appearances and then maybe yeah. some downtime that, you know, they're always on the road. So they're always eating out, maybe a little bit of drinking, a little bit of socializing aspect as well to keep the rapport up and stuff. But, uh, mm. yeah, it, it's very intense lifestyle, I think. Do they have that thing where in the 70s when um, the American wrestlers used to go over to Japan? Um, did Dozan run a company? Either way, um, they had um, two buses, one heel bus and one uh, face bus, one good goody bus and one baddie bus. Because if you are a, a casual wrestling observer, so to speak, to, 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 to yeah. use a phrase, um, you, and you see um, a good guy and a bad guy hanging out at a bar, it's not yeah. a good look. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really tend to do that now. I mean, right, you know, okay. I guess the equivalent for... Uh, maybe some people, especially in the UK, be like uh, Dirty Den from EastEnders, you know, with the nicest, <laughs> sweetest character, and uh, you know, that wouldn't really work with it. But um, yeah. no, I don't, I don't think they have, have the facilities or maybe the the revenue streams for two buses these days. To be honest, mm. you know, in these mm. times. Yeah, and and I guess people are kind of uh, cognizant of the fact that it is just a job at the yeah, end of yeah. the day. It, it, it's very relaxed now around venues. Mm. There's fans taking pictures with good guys and bad guys. They're all interacting, mm. and um, it, it's very you know relaxed over the years. I think you know. Yeah. How do, so? Um, what's this year been like? I suppose it's been very abnormal in that there are no tourists in Japan. Um, I guess you found it quite hard to to re-enter Japan uh, yeah. this year. What's it been like? Yeah, it's quite surreal. I, I mean, yesterday I went to Tokyo Station. Um, they, mm. they got the big countdown clock for the Olympics. Tokyo countdown clock yes. because it was uh, it was hundred days to go on Wednesday. So I mm. thought let's go take a little look down there, take some pictures because I hope to be working at, at the Olympics this year, but. It was raining. It, it was really, it was a bit of a damp squib. There was nobody around. There was just a right. few hopeful international photographers looking for the right <laughs> shot, but there, there was nothing going on, you know. And it, it, it's the same, you know, in, in wrestling venues, especially in January, it's usually packed up with foreigners, thousands of foreigners here, mm. a little bit like WrestleMania weekend in the USA. Everyone comes out, they go to all the shows, maybe two yeah. shows in a day, three shows in a day. They just can't get enough. And then they go to the wrestling bars, the wrestling restaurants, and it's like a totally jam-packed, holiday they tend to come for in, in mm. January but of course that's just not a thing here now and the crowds as well in most sports they're not allowed to make any noise at all it might be different mm. outside some parts of, of Tokyo but they can't make any noise at all so all they can do is clap and then sometimes right, yeah. we're coming in for commentary in the main event with a big booming voice and you know it's echoing around oh these wow big yes yeah. so everyone can hear you <laughs> yeah which is a little, little bit embarrassing yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Wow, I bet. And I, I've seen sort of some um, small band venues. Um, they they don't allow people to scream or shout, but they do allow um, rubber chickens in to sort of squawk <laughs> away. So they so people bring in rubber chickens and they just squeeze them instead of uh, cheering and shouting. Uh, can you see sort of a way out for for for, for Japan? Like, obviously, you're out and about and, and experiencing it. Can you see? Obviously, the vaccinations haven't really sort of um, hit pace yet in 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 the country. Yeah. Can you see a way out for sport when it comes to um, being a kind of international global uh, spectator sport? I mean, you know, it, it is impressive the measures that they are taking to allow sports to currently take place. Yeah. For example, that you go in, you have to write your details on the the ticket, your address, your contact information. You get a temperature check. They spray your hands with the liquid. And then they might ask you some questions about where you've been, where you've been interacting. It's a socially distanced crowd. You're not allowed mm. to speak. You're not allowed to, to chat to people and, and everything else. But I think it's just going to take time. It's all about the vaccination. It's just going to be a, a, a slow route to that. Unfortunately, here in Japan, mm. they're talking about teenagers, maybe at the start of next year even. But wow. I, th- I think the way things are now, I think the Olympics are going ahead 99% in, in my opinion now because they see it as, 10,000, 11,000 athletes will come in, but they will be literally in their own little bubble, in their own little world. Oh, yeah. They'll be cut off from Tokyo Japanese society, so they can't see any mixing. Of course, you know, Olympics, these things happen, there's scandals, people break the rules. But as far as they're concerned, I think that's 100% happening. But hopefully, mm. you know, cases here can stabilize by that point. At the moment, they're just on a steady incline, unfortunately. But, you know, it's all going to be about that vaccine. Mm, indeed. Um, well, I mean, look, we've talked about wrestling. We've talked about uh, uh, about uh, vaccines and, yeah, <laughs> and the yeah, coronavirus yeah. pandemic. Um, obviously, the main question that I think we're all uh, waiting to hear from you, uh, Mark, is uh, what's your favourite product in a Seven Eleven? Because that's kind of we do talk about the combini quite a lot on Roger. Yeah, I did spend a couple of minutes staring quite intensely at a chocolate coolish flavour last night in the Seven Eleven. Oh, hello, Mark. Yeah, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. They keep on getting closer. Somebody found some coolish <laughs> or a coolish variant. I think it's still made by Lotte. Um, it was kind of like uh, a Calpis flavoured, uh, which is excellent, coolish uh, <laughs> that was not branded as coolish. Same company in yeah. Switzerland. Oh wow! They are getting closer, Mark. Wow. Okay. They're getting cl- okay. That's almost. Fedexable for That's me. That's almost halfway. That's got to be halfway, almost, right? I know, right? Oh yeah. my word! I, I have to say wait. as well, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm one of those people mm. on Twitter who's took a picture of Coolish and sent it to you. <laughs> I like I know, it. No, I know that comes up to Chris on the podcast. I, think I was at had the guy a station, and there was this giant Coolish billboard. I thought, right, I have to stop and take a picture. <laughs> well, Mark, um, where can people find you on, on on Twitter, and where can people find your work mainly? Yeah, so I, I'm on Twitter at underscore Mark Prickering. If anyone mm. wants to ask about anything martial arts related, sports, pro wrestling, maybe. In the future, when planes are a thing again, if they want to come out here, practice a martial art, go to watch a wrestling, a combat sport, anything like that, feel free to send me a message if they want any questions, any advice, no problem. And mm. the next commentary I'll be doing will be on the 29th of March for Pro Wrestling Noah. Keiji Muto, one of the most famous Japanese wrestlers, will be defending his heavyweight title. So that's next up for me in two weeks. Um, between now and then, I've got the... Almost half a book. I probably have to write in notes to try and get through that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, I'll leave you to that, uh, Mark. Thank you very much for joining us, mate. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. You take care, Pete. All right, then. Thank you to Mark for um, coming on. Lovely. Hasn't he got a great voice? Hasn't he got a great accent? Uh, Right, we'll be back after this with my chat with um, Dan Olowitz, the J-League expert. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. In our daily lives, we all carry around with us different stressors. They can be big, they can be small, and sometimes we might not even realise that we're carrying them around with us. But if these feelings stay bottled up, they can start to affect us negatively, which is why having a positive outlet for discussion can be such a valuable tool for your well-being. Therapy can be a perfect outlet for your inner stressors. It's a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Sometimes just speaking things out into the open can be such a great release of inner tension, so you can spend less time stressing about the issue and more time figuring out how you can overcome it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Japan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Japan. Welcome back to the Abroad in Japan podcast. Pete Donaldson with you. And as promised, here's my chat with Dan Olowitz, a journalist and J-League expert. If you want to know more about uh, Japan League soccer, here's your man. All right, we're here with uh, Dan. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You've just been showing me your scarves offline. Uh, you have an astonishing array of the most obscure football scarves, <laughs> J-League and beyond, uh, that I've ever seen in my life, Dan. That's incredible. It is. It started out... When did it start? I guess about a decade ago, maybe a bit more. Mm. And I've, I was never a uniform guy because in Japan, you don't really wear your kits out and about right okay and yeah. so i i've started picking up scarves because of course it gets cold in, in winter and here even in tokyo and i mm. started picking them up and one led to another and that led to about three or four hundred more and <laughs> uh it's a sad addiction that i'm working on uh, yeah I'm <laughs> working on storage so that i can keep yeah more, you know so I, so I can find a place for all of them so i can keep buying more of them so you know it's it's a, yeah. it's a process I mean, I guess you could kind of just cover one entire wall, pretend it's some kind of wallpapering, or, or maybe um, stitch it into some kind of mat system and, and, and carpet your whole house with scarves. The, the goal is to, to one day be able to own a pub and then I'll have room for yes. all of just cover the entire place. No smoking, of course. <laughs> no, you don't want to ruin those fibres. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how you, you got started. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain uh, due to your accent, you, you, you're not native Japanese, um, but you, you, you've been here for a little while doing football. Yeah, um, I, I'm American. I was born and raised in Philadelphia. I, I played football as, you know, as a kid, basically mm. through junior high. I, I, was never, I never followed it professionally. I, I did... did Back in those days, we're talking the late 90s, early aughts, you couldn't watch club football. You couldn't watch the mm. European game. Uh, right. We didn't have MLS in Philadelphia. So I was you know, just one of the legion of once every four year fans who would watch the World Cup and then promptly yeah. forget it existed. Uh, I did my third year of college in Tokyo through Temple University. 
And I went to my first international game, uh, Japan, Bahrain in 2005. And then a couple a year later, I, gra I graduated and then I moved back to Tokyo. And then that spring, I went to my first J-League game, uh, FC Tokyo against Kashima Antlers. And nice. I, had no, I was 21 years old, no clue what I was doing. I was just like, <laughs> wow, all these people behind the goal look like they're having fun. And I just ended mm. up there and I stayed there. And that started everything. And I just kept going to games, bought season tickets, started a blog, uh, started my Twitter account, just kept writing about Tokyo and then the J League in general. And then eventually that somehow turned into writing about it for a living. And so I've worked for a variety of uh, football news sites, mostly uh, Japanese, a couple Western outlets. I started at goal.com. Mm. And a couple years ago, I joined the Japan Times as our head football writer. And that's basically what I've been doing ever since. Awesome stuff. Well, I mean, thanks for giving us your time because I imagine as head football writer, you don't really have that much uh, time off. Um, I, I mean, what what was it like kind of like transitioning from like just writing about one club and being obsessed with one club to, to kind of like broadening out? Because in the West, we have a very sort of rigid kind of like newsroom system when it comes to, uh, to, to writing about sport and writing about football. I think when it comes to the J-League, uh, all of us, because I mean, back in this era... Everyone had a blog. Everyone had their specific mm. team that they wrote about. And we all sort of had had our shared you know, forums and that sort of thing. Mm. And now sort of everyone's on Twitter. And we're all passionate about our clubs, but we're also all passionate about the league in general, about mm. Japanese football. Uh, we're all advocates. We're all trying to get people to pay attention because uh, all of us think that it's a really cool league. Uh, mm. Japanese football has so many wonderful stories, uh, the atmospheres, the, you know, just the level of, of play is incredibly high compared to Europe. It's not, you know, top four, top five territory, but it's pretty there. You know, it, it's mm. pretty close. I think Japan and the J League, you know, they can go toe to toe with Holland, Belgium, Portugal. I mean, you, you've seen this in international competitions like the Club World Cup, uh, mm. six, five years ago uh, when Kashima got to the final and took Real Madrid to extra time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, the, the football is very good and there's a lot of amazing stories, but it's also a league that is growing and developing. And all of us are trying to help that for people like me, I guess it, it initially meant, you know, taking pot shots at the J league through Twitter. And now it means <laughs> sitting down with the chairman for an hour and just talking shop. And, and it's, you know, I, I've definitely matured, uh, since my mm. early bomb throwing days, I still try to keep a bit of that in me, but, um, <laughs> You know, trying to change the system from the inside is another way of going about things. <laughs> Definitely. I think um, certainly in the West and certainly from the perspective of someone who um, helps run a football podcast in, 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 in London, I mean, the main stories are uh, from from Japan and J League. I mean, it's King Kazoo, it's uh, Iniesta, it's 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 stories that kind of kind of break through. And from my own perspective of sort of going to see uh, like I think one singular match, Kafem Frakofu. Um, weirdly, when I was going to try and see um, FC Tokyo, I got on the wrong train, ended up three hours out outside of Tokyo, and ended up and it just so happened at a town that actually had a J League team. And 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 then my kind of um, casual love affair with with that team. Was was 
kind of born. It, 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 have you kind of noticed a sea change when it comes to the actual personnel in, in the J-League? Are there more homegrown players kind of coming through? Is it still one of those leagues that you just sort of see these journeyman Brazilian footballers who, who kind of... who historically always travel incredibly well and always tear up the league are you kind of finding a sea change when it comes to homegrown Japanese and and other nations kind of coming over I think that that sea change has been around for a while I think if you look at the early the the J League was founded and it's the first season was in 93 Mm. and yes back then there were a ton of Brazilian players, European talent, and it was a journeyman's league. It was sort of a retirement league. Mm. And then around, I'd say about 2005, 2010, in that period, that was when you started to see the shift of Japanese players going to Europe on a regular basis. It was really the 2010 World Cup that spurred that on. You think about how many players from that squad use that World Cup to springboard to Europe, uh, Yuto Nagatomo being a big one, Shinji Okazaki being another big one. Hmm. Uh, and you know that was the tournament that made Keisuke Honda a household name. That was could have been the tournament that made Shinji Kagawa a household name, but he didn't get selected. That That's another story entirely. <laughs> um, but then over the last decade, you're seeing, you know, it used to be that you turn 24, 25 and you go to Europe. Now yeah. you're a teenager and you can be sent on loan or you can be sold at 1920 and so you're seeing all these really amazing players making the leap at a very young age Mm. and they're starting to really catch up in terms of development compared to their european counterparts not there yet there's still a lot of kinks to be worked out and there is a mentality issue uh when it comes to playing on the bigger stage and you see that in inconsistency inconsistent play from Takumi Minamino, for example, Mm. or like Shoya Nakajima, who didn't really do too well at Porto, or Takefusa Kubo, who's, you know, Real Madrid signed him and then they've been sending him around on loan. So it's a process, but the fact that these players are so young and are still attracting so much interest from European clubs Mm. is proof that Japan is developing really good players really young players and they're developing a lot of them as far as the foreigners are concerned over the last 10 years we have seen a a a lot of diversification in terms of who clubs are signing you Mm. do have a lot of brazilians coming in and that's because those pipelines are still very robust uh, because there, there's a lot of agents and, and intermediaries mm. and that sort of thing. But you have a ton of Korean players coming in. Uh, you have a lot of sort of overlooked players from, from Europe who have come in and made somewhat of an impact. Peter uh, this, Yataka. <laughs> Love that guy. Peter, that was what I was about to bring into. We have about half a dozen African players coming in mm. this season uh, because Michael Lunga won the MVP last year and all of a sudden Mm. all the clubs are like, Oh wow, maybe we should be paying attention to Africa. Yeah. And there, you know, you look at Chanatip and Tirathon and what the Thai players have done for the J league's image. Uh, Mm. The J league is as well known in Thailand as the premier league. They have amazing exposure uh, because Mm. those players are, are playing in what, ties considered to be a top tier competition and they're doing really well so the league is becoming more international and it it isn't just about iniesta or torres or uh via and you know those are yes those get the headlines Mm. but they're a very small piece of what's going on Mm. and and i guess 
this year more than any other, it's quite important to sort of remember that um, J League and you know Japanese sport in general have retained crowds. Uh, obviously, they've not been hit quite as quite as badly as everyone else with the pandemic, but they have maintained um, it, it, they have maintained J League as a, as a spectator sport, and that that shouldn't be undervalued in twenty twenty one. No, not at all. Uh, the league has done an incredible job of handling the pandemic. Mm. Uh, yes, a, a lot of clubs are struggling. I mean, a lot a lot of clubs are struggling financially. They they took some very heavy hits. But the fact that since July we've had crowds, mm. uh, it started with a cap at five thousand, uh, went up to eventually fifty percent, and now we're somewhere between five thousand and fifty percent, depending on where in Japan you are and what COVID countermeasures are in place, and if it's a state of emergency or the new not quite state of emergency measures. So. It's not perfect, and we don't have cheering. We, you know, there isn't the cheering, there isn't the singing, there isn't the flag waving, but the fans are there. They're, they're mm. clapping. They're still supporting the team. They're still holding yeah. up their signs. You know, it's better than nothing, and it it has forced the clubs to really become very innovative in a lot of what they're doing in terms of business, in terms of coming up with new revenue streams, uh, in terms of merch development. Um, you know, in terms of how they're working with sponsors. So I'm not going to come out and say that COVID has been a positive for the J-League. Obviously, we're, we're still suffering a very uh, heavy cost, but the league is responding as well as we could hope. And mm. that's, you know, that's a pretty good win under these circumstances. And, and in the West, I suppose, um, with a lot of leagues around the world, you can't see decent highlight packages uh, online. But the J-League, and certainly J-League uh, English service, for, for us English speakers who don't know any Japanese, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a godsend. It's, it's, it's really sort of quite quite uh, comprehensive in their reports and how they sort of um, display the goals and the highlight packages and stuff like that. Um, we we talk obviously about um, on 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 the on the podcast abroad in Japan what it, where um, the best places uh, to go in Japan are. It's not uh, we barely ever talk about uh, anything sporty. Uh, but what is your favorite uh, part of Japan? Obviously, you travel a lot a lot with work. But but what's your favorite part? Man, I wish I traveled a lot with work. Um, <laughs> I, I I mean, if we're going to sort of narrow it down, there's there's so many stadiums that I haven't been to that I wish I mm. could go to. I mean, I've covered most of the Kansai area. I've of course covered almost all of the greater Tokyo area. And I've, I've been to a couple other grounds here and there. Um, in, in terms of my, my favorites, you know, you can't beat if, if, if you're in the Tokyo area, you just, you can't beat Saitama stadium. It yeah. just, the, the spectacle, as much as a lot of us love to hate our reds, that stadium, a full house, <laughs> If it's uh, an Arawa home game or uh, Japan's national team, th- there's just nothing like it. Uh, I, mm. I've gone to so many games, and not, not just a, a, as a writer, but of course, if you're there as a photographer, uh, you go pitch side. I, you know, I need to bring earplugs with me uh, when I go <laughs> to an Arawa game because you're you're right in front of the main supporter section, and they are yeah. so loud. <laughs> um, I, I also love the smaller rounds. I love uh, Kashiwa Stadium. Uh, NAC 5 in Omiya, uh, the best in terms of scenery, you just can't beat uh, Nihon Daira, uh, where Shimizu S-Pulse play. Right. It's, it's it's a great, great looking stadium. And then you, you turn around and you see Mount Fuji mm. and it, it's, you know, 
no better setting. And you, know, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned Kofu earlier. I've been to a game out there. Yeah, the the game itself was a bit of a nothing burger, but you know, just you, you you're standing on the pitch and you look and just mountains all around you. Mm, you, you can just beautiful. see you can just see forever. And I love him. They did a um, very cool uh, special uniform last year where I think you see like, it's, I think it's like, like Kofu, but it's, it's like from above and it's a very cool shot. And I love stuff like that. There's just so many grounds like that in Japan. And the great thing about ground hopping in Japan is that you don't just get the stadium experience. It's not like in the U S where you drive to the stadium and then you drive home which I imagine is sort of the same in England and, and even mm. in Germany and, and other cities in Europe or other countries in Europe, I should say. But you go and you get on the train and you go and you can do sightseeing and you can check out whatever the local food is and everyone mm. goes to the restaurant and you look and you're in town and you see all the other fans of your club who are, they have their uniforms on or they have their, the scarves or the, you know, the keychains. <laughs> it's, it's a very cool experience. And, uh, that is more than anything what we're missing during this pandemic is that you don't have fans who are going out and traveling and that's part of the jay lee experience and it's what makes it so great the fact that you mm. can you're you're not just ground hopping but you're you're traveling yes yes and i i think uh, coming home from coffee with um a big punnet of these kind of fake grapes they're obsessed with the grapes they sell it's very very exciting <laughs> how how does um how do kind of like the crowds differ from um western um sports kind of attendees um, i i sort of noted like a, li- a little bit more kind of um su- subdued at certain times a lot more clapping um, but the supporters areas are quite interesting flag waving and they sing the songs and they're all very organized it, the level of organization sort of depends on from club to club and and mm. so does the level of enthusiasm but you do they'll they start singing at kickoff and they don't stop until the final whistle <laughs> and incredible. that it, it is and it, it is we have our complaints sometimes you know it's i think a lot of european fans who watch the j league are like oh well, you know they, they they just keep singing even after they give up a goal or you know they stay on the same song forever and ever mm. and they never switch things up and yeah but it's such a colorful atmosphere everyone's got the uniform on just all mm. the flags and the bunting and the, and the color like they're just the color and the spectacle of it mm. and yeah. that's not necessarily something you'll get in england you know you're not going to have everyone wearing the uniform to the ground no it's not something yeah. you're going to get in the u.s where like kids will come to the stadium wearing whatever soccer uniform they have yeah. Um yeah, it's very you know, some clubs I mean Urawa is probably the closest you'll get to Dutch or German style ultras culture just in terms of how the, how well they're organized and how mm. loud they are. I mean they've they've got one of the best uh active support setups in the league. Them uh, Matsumoto Yamaga who also played a beautiful stadium. Um, you know, other clubs again it it just sort of depends on who's running things. Mm. But it, it the atmosphere is wonderful to play in. I, I was asked very recently, you know, why, why would a, a foreign player come to Japan and play in the J League? Like, are they getting a lot of money or what? I'm like, not necessarily, but when you're playing in a stadium like that versus, 
you know, a, a two thirds empty stadium somewhere in Qatar. Like I know what I'm going to pick if I'm a player. Like yeah. you want to play where there's an atmosphere, where there's vibes, where there's excitement. And you get that mm. at every level in the J League. Yeah. And, and also, I guess, like quality of life as well. Look, I mean, we're talking about frequently um, about players who make millions of pounds rather than just thousands of pounds. But, um, you know, I, th- I think um, the, the biggest kind of like uh, most expensive players in like J1 are, are on under a million a year, aren't they? It's, 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 it's not there's not that money, much money kicking around as, you know, when, you know, Gary Lineker or the proposed um, transfer of like Maradona, you know, when that kind of money was kicking around. Like, I think with. I think it would it be fair to say that the quality of life is still quite important is 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 way higher than if you lived in I don't know Thailand or 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 over the, some of the other places that some players can 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 kind of play the Indian Premier League for example or, or stuff like that. Yeah, I mean I think that if you're playing in India, if you're playing in China, if you're playing in Thailand, you're not necessarily going to bring the wife and kids to to no. move in with you for a couple of years or however long you're there. But you have so many players, so many uh, Brazilians, so many foreign players in Japan who bring the wife, they bring the kids, they start a family here, they buy a house. Iniesta's having the time of his life. Chanatip mm. has his family here. Jay Bothroyd, uh, former England international, uh, has mm. you know his family here and, and they love it. It's uh, yeah, a great place to raise a family and it's a great place to live in. Uh, mm. you can, even if you're playing, you know, outside of Tokyo, let's say, you know, in, in Kanagawa or, or Chiba or Saitama, you know, you're not that far away from Tokyo. Uh, mm. you can have, you know, a quiet life in a nice place and live in a good school district or send your kid to private school as the case may be. Uh, and you can go into the city when you want to have some fun, uh, mm. or you can, you know, you can travel, you can explore. You know, there's so, there's so much to see in the country. So I, I don't blame players at all. I mean, the, the foreign talent, uh, they're earning probably close to a million dollars a year. Uh, mm. maybe one, 1.5. Iniesta is obviously a big outlier, uh, but if you're doing well in Japan, really, you, you could be doing much, much, much worse uh, anywhere else, yeah. even if your paycheck <laughs> is larger. Yeah, exactly. It's just a lovely place to be. Actually, speaking of Jay Bothroyd, he was um, sort of, um, I think he had a weird Twitter conversation with uh, Honda, Keske Honda's, uh, obviously a man who, uh, and I think Jay Bothroyd's got, kind of got a point. Is that, is, does he, does he have outstanding warrants in Japan? He just, he just seems to never want to go back to Japan to play. No. He's been away for such, such a long time. I've, Honda is such a weirdo. <laughs> and he wears two watches for crying out loud and well, he needs I mean, to because he's never at home that yeah i mean that that that's yeah that, that's probably the most normal thing about him like <laughs> i get it like in, in before we had smart watches yeah you need to keep track of what time it is everywhere but <laughs> honda is honda and we all make fun of it we all joke about it but in the end you gotta sort of respect him for staying on brand whatever he thinks that <laughs> brand is. And and now he's in Azerbaijan mm. and he's getting some lip service that he might make it to the Olympic team. So, you know, if he does that, then we're all the assholes. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, Honda is Honda. That, that, that's all that can really be said. <laughs> uh, well, Dan, um, I, I, we have to wrap up the, the, the interview with, with a simple question. It's unalloyed. It's, it's unequivocal. Um, what is your favorite product in the Conbini in the 7-Eleven? 
Ooh, seven uh, eleven. So we're we're keeping it to seven eleven. Okay, I mean, if you want to give us uh, one product for each, or just one product from your favourite uh, combini, uh, from Sun, is it Suncus to to Lawson to? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I think Suncus is out. I think they've been yeah they've been bought out. I mean, we're yeah. see, I we used to be a, a Lawson house, and then we, when we moved a couple of years ago, there's sadly none within walking distance. So it's oh, either no. Family Mart or Seven Eleven. Yeah, it, it's it's tragic. Um, <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of you know anything in the um you know in, in the fried section by the by the front. Yeah, not ev- yeah. anything, but um the, the, set- the hot spicy chicken. Yeah, uh, that, that that is that's my go-to from Family Mart when I'm on the go. Mm. And yeah, I think I'll stick with that. You know, you, you can't go wrong with it. They had those um crazy crispy chicken things that were on sale for like a week and then they sold out. And uh, oh no, yeah, the, which is really what happens. Never fall Ellie's in love. Edition. You can't fall in love with anything at the Kambini because it will be gone <laughs> and you will never see it again. That is the, the, <laughs> the tragedy of life in Japan. It is meant to teach us that all things are transient, mm. nothing remains, and that you have to adapt to the fleetingness <laughs> of life. And, and so. Convenience are just, you know, the karmic wheel. That That yeah. is what, you know... If, if, it, this pop is like my dad who left me. He went to the shops ages ago and never came back. Uh, Dan, um, how, how could people find you on uh, Twitter? Aishitaru Tokyo, isn't it? Yep, that's the one, at Aishitaru Tokyo. Uh, all my writing is on uh, the Japan Times, uh, japantimes.com. Uh or I think it's japantimes.co.jp, actually. I think mm-hmm. they both probably work. But yes, in the sports section, uh, I get out my column as close to weekly as I can and go go to games and write about them. And uh, always happy if, if there's something you want to know about the game, tweet at me and I, I try to answer. Well, awesome stuff. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, uh, yeah, good luck with what, What's your next posting? What's your next match you're going to be going to? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I'm not going anything this weekend, but next mm. weekend, uh, the Wii League, the new women's league, will be starting its preseason. Uh, oh. And I'm very bullish on that. I'm doing my best to give it as much exposure as I can. So I'm hoping to cover that. And I believe there will be a game between Urawa Reds and Minavi Sendai. Uh, okay. So I'm going to try to check that out. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting league. I, we've, we're still a long way uh, from the season opening in September, but uh, they've got a really good vision. Uh, the chairperson uh, has some, lots of good ideas, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they get on. Mm. Well, thanks again, Dan. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again at some point, but uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of the season. Absolutely. Thank you. So there we are. Thank you very much to our amazing guests, uh, Mark Pickering and Dan Olowitz. Go and check them out on uh, Twitter. And uh, remember, Chris, we'll be back this Sunday with your normal stuff, whatever that might be. Uh, but for now, wherever you might be, uh, in there, out there, in there, I can't, remember, I can't remember what Chris says. Out there, out there, yeah, out there in the big wide world, have uh, coolish, have a coolish. Bye-bye. See you Sunday. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.